Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. I'm Tim Fredericks, your host, along with my co-host, Fran Gavin, in the studio tonight, uh, continuing with our series of shows that are curated by our doctoral students. Uh, tonight's doctoral student who is uh, going to serve as your host is uh, Joe uh, Kaldarshi. And he has a couple of very special leaders in uh, studio with us this evening. And Joe, I'm going to uh, turn it over to you for the introductions. Good evening, everybody. My name is Joe Kaladarcy, and uh, I have the pleasure of having two exceptional leaders as guests for this evening. Uh, in no specific order, uh, we're here with Colonel Stephen Henske, the 108th Maintenance Group Commander, New Jersey Air National Guard and Mr. Kevin Carroll, retired superintendent of Greenbrook School District, New Jersey. Um, I'd like to welcome you both and I appreciate your time. Uh, let's start off maybe by Colonel Henske, uh, just introducing yourself a little more in detail and, and explaining uh, some of your current role rather and uh, current endeavors. Uh, thanks Joe, and uh, I appreciate you letting me go first because that's always uh... Always the great position to be in. Uh, my name is uh, Steve Henske, Villanova grad, St. Joe's grad with a master's degree, uh, went in the Air Force way back when as an aircraft maintenance officer and done a lot of different jobs in the Air Force. Uh, you know, married three kids, living out here in uh, lovely Tabernacle, New Jersey. Um, and uh, I serve as the 108th Maintenance Group Commander uh, as a part-time job, very much uh, like what Joe does as a part-time guardsman. And um, on my full-time side of the house, I'm a civil servant at the Joint Base as a director of staff. Um, a lot of different experiences throughout my career that got me to where I'm at, you know, on top of just the normal day-to-day -day dad stuff like soccer coach and as, as well as a, a member of the Tabernacle Board of Education, which uh, keeps me really busy. And so that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Excellent. And uh, Kevin, Mr. Carroll, do you uh, mind introducing yourself? And, and not at all, Joseph. And uh, ab absolutely, the Colonel should go first. He outranks me. Um, you know, my own background. Uh, I joined uh, the Army Reserves and then uh, earned an ROTC scholarship um, to become a second lieutenant. But uh, thanks and no thanks to soccer, blew out my knee and uh, lost my scholarship and did not uh, wasn't able to serve in the Army. But I have to say, prior to that. Uh, being one of seven, um, my family is all about uh, service and work, and I brought that to the job that I did. I have been a kindergarten through fourth grade teacher. I've been a, an elementary supervisor, as well as a vice principal, principal, and a superintendent for over, well, I did the superintendency for 14 years uh, of my 26 years as a, an educator. And um, in that time, I have to say, the beauty of it is once you teach kindergarten, you can do anything. Uh, raised two children with my wonderful wife, uh, who is my high school sweetheart. And um, we are currently looking at uh, building businesses of our own based on our own uh, leadership backgrounds. Um, part of mine is in education and part of ours is in business. So we're trying to make the best of that going forward. And thank you, Joseph, for this opportunity. All right. Thank you. Thinking about this, I probably should have introduced myself a little more in detail with some of my background. I started teaching in 2005 in East Orange as a physical education and health teacher. And in, was it 2016 or so, uh, became an assistant principal where I'm currently at in Hampton Township. And on top of assistant principal, as of two years ago, uh, became the supervisor of special services. So overseeing special education and the child study team. So thank you for joining us. And uh, next topic that we'll start to work on is uh, what experiences led you to where you are today and how have they prepared you uh, in a little more detail? And let's go with, uh, let's go with Kevin. We'll alternate a little bit. Thank you, Joe. Um, so, so when I uh, got into college, um, I was a criminal justice uh, major and uh, joined the reserves while I was still in community college. Uh, to pay for college, but I also had a background, volunteer first aider, um, taught catechism for my um, church. Uh, I, I coached K through 12 recreational soccer in Toms River, New Jersey. So I was always in a position of uh, stepping up and doing what was needed to be done. Um, 
so I found that that was kind of like the, the easy road for me. And as I went from uh, ROTC and uh, actually stayed with the Ryder University as a residence director um, and got right into a master's program in educational leadership, I just found that um, it was a draw for me to know the ins and outs of the work that I did. Um, so it was one thing to know my classroom work, but to know how everything that went on outside of my classroom to make my classroom run, that was a big part of my interest and curiosity, which led to, you know, luckily, thanks to my father, uh, prior to being in college, um, and then throughout college, I worked as a custodian, uh, grounds, maintenance, uh, security, whatever the Tom's River schools needed because my dad was the coordinator of building, buildings and grounds. And I learned quickly um, the best leaders are servant leaders, meaning you knew everybody else's job as well as your own job. And not to be an expert, but to have an appreciation of the work that they did made my time going from educator in the classroom to educator supporting the classroom such an easy transition. Excellent, thanks for that. Uh, Colonel Hensky? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I just wanna tell Kevin I'm extremely impressed. That was pretty cool. I knew, uh, I'm a military brat, uh, ended up in Staten Island, New York. Um, I knew a long time ago that I wanted to lead. Um, and it, it kind of took on its, uh, the first real opportunities was when I was uh, in high school playing soccer. Uh, becoming the captain soccer team. I knew I wanted to do it. I just, I found that I didn't necessarily have the skill set um, and the education to get there. So I really, as I was getting out of high school, realized that I wanted to serve my nation. Uh, I went to ROTC. I became, uh, went to Air Force ROTC, went to Villanova. I worked really hard at getting a good education. Uh, had the follow on to St. Joe's. And as it was progressing, um, I really, a lot of things started to, to sink in. First was uh, the, nece the necessity of a good leader to have humility and not to, because at first I thought I knew it all. And then as I got older and subsequently got beat up by many bosses who would hit me over the head and go, you don't know everything, Hensky. I realized that the value in the team and that you, the value of leadership within that team. And I saw that over and over again as I started my Air Force career, as I went into aircraft maintenance and realized that as an aircraft maintenance officer, you're not the subject matter expert, but you're leading subject matter experts and you're coordinating them and you're trying to get your mission. And in the case of, of aircraft maintenance is turning airplanes and, and having them available for air crew to, to, to do the nation's business. And it was very high and intense type of experience that only was made better by the ability to be humble and listen to the non-commissioned officers who were under my charge when they you know, would pull me aside and go, hey, LT, hey, Captain, hey, Major, we need to do this and we need to do that and you need to help us out. And then I became, my leadership was of one of helping guide them as well as giving them proper top cover. And, you know, in the Air Force also did fantastic, gave me fantastic opportunities, besides going to war a number of times, um, to, I became an educator in the military, so I got to teach uh, logistics. Um, and I really realized as I got older that as a leader, you have to determine how your legacy is going to be and what exactly are you going to leave behind. And I determined a long time ago that it wasn't the great deeds that I thought I did but more so the people that I was able to help and maybe mold uh, and become better at the jobs that they did and the leaders that they became, that really was my legacy as I moved forward and transitioned. So that is part of the, you know, that and a, a continuing sir, uh, desire to serve uh, my nation and, and the community, which kind of led me to, uh, you know, be asked to join the Board of Education for my district you know, and, and, and be involved that way. So uh, it just really is, I guess, desiring to serve and continuing to try to get better, which I think has got me where I'm at today. Awesome, thanks for that. I, I As you're all answering these questions, I think back at my history or my past and what, what led me to where I am. And 
you know, I, I realize or I, I think all the time about how when I graduated college with a degree in physical education, I wasn't 100 percent sure I wanted to be a teacher. And I've always thought that that was I knew that that was something that you had to jump in uh, knowing 100 percent that that is where you wanted to be because of the lives that you impact directly or the young lives, especially. So uh, for me, I, I, I did a number of different jobs and you know, between waitering, bouncing, car salesman, tried my own business, and then a couple of years after, just clicked that teaching was really where I wanted to be. And um, I would, I would honestly have to say that that Kevin was one of the seeing him lead was one of the driving forces for me to personally want to uh, get into educational leadership. Um, and Colonel, I like how you 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 brought in the the board of ed. Uh, board of Ed experience and how you were asked to lead in that capacity. Uh, I volunteer. I you volunteered, but I, I saw an opening in Netcong, New Jersey, a number of years back, and figured that was you know prior to kids and when I had extra time, that was something that I would uh, like to get involved in, and and that you know ended up being where I I met Kevin. So. Um, yeah, so I appreciate all that. Is there are there any specific? And we'll go with Colonel Hensky. We'll alternate back. Are there any specific uh, situations or experiences with how you've seen others lead that led you to think that um, I need to follow this type of these type of footsteps, or maybe that isn't exactly? And you don't have to name names, obviously, but. Is that something that I maybe would want to refrain from when I become a leader? Uh, yeah, Joe. Well, Joe, let's let, let's not forget one thing that the big party that you really haven't mentioned, which is you're also in the Air National Guard. So on top of everything, on your day to day, you still sacrifice your time, your in your your effort to 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 serve your nation, your state, and I don't want that to go without being recognized because um, I as your um, commander uh, can't thank you enough for what you do and what you bring to the table, um, because you, you you know you got a, a whole lot of smarts from what you when you and when you come into drill weekends and and you're really uh, a fantastic part of the team. So I just want to make sure I recognized you for that. Um, Thanks. My pleasure. Uh, as far as as when you when you go through, I mean, especially when you're you're a leader, it, I, I kind of was really thinking about this segment and the fact that Kevin was on it today and realized that in the education system, you like Kevin said, he started, it started as a teacher and you work your way up into superintendent. You just don't start as a principal as far as I know. Um, but in the military, you start at a, basically a, a, a junior principal, you know, you start as an officer. And so you're automatically an administration. And so you would get off right off the bat. You get really, good examples of what you what are good leaders and what are bad leaders. And I tell my I tell folks that I mentor all the time, take the good from those great leaders that you serve with and emulate them. And then also make sure that you identify the bad things and folks that you don't necessarily like and just make sure that you're not doing that too. If you don't like to be micromanaged, make sure you don't micromanage. If you don't like um, the way someone treats someone or addresses someone or um, how they don't bring the team together, make sure you do the opposite. So for every good leader I've had, I've learned actually more from bad leadership because I realized the things that that I didn't want to be and I didn't want to do. And and often I would look and do a lot of self-reflection at the end of the day and go, you know what? I've done that before and I don't want to be like that. So I, I would I would say, you know, I, through my career, I've, I've, I've had a lot of experiences like that, but I always reflect at the end of the day and go, what could I do better? And luckily I have, uh, you know, folks like you who sit there and give me good advice, um, very candid good advice, and that keeps me usually on point. Kevin? Well, you know, I'm so used to the, <laughs> the idea of, uh, social media. I'm just like hitting all the imaginary emojis as Colonel Hensky is talking because I totally uh, agree with everything you just said. Uh, starting with the compliment to you, Joe, I, I've said to you from the get-go, from what you know in the classroom to your experience in the military and how you bring that together, it really just makes amazing 
um, characteristics and, and ability as a leader. And I've told you since I met you, I totally knew your path. Um, and I have to say, that's one of the things I loved about my growth as a leader is because people saw that in me and poured into me. And then I started to see that in other people. And that intuition just, just served me well to know my job better when I would communicate that to other people. Um, one of the things that um, the Colonel was talking about, it, I was <laughs> not dumbfounded by, but totally in agreement was, yeah, you, for as much as you have great people that inspired you, you had horrible people. There was like, how did you get here? How did, you know, the, the Peter principle, how did you get to this level that you're cr creating such a problem in the corporation, in the institution, in this role that you have? And then that reflection. I know as a teacher, um, I had leaders that allowed me to grow and to try and to make mistakes and be there to give me feedback. And then at the time that my team that I was a part of was ready to really show the district what we can do, another leader came in and said, oh, forget that. We're doing this now. And that sense of powerlessness, I said to myself, I'm never going to do that. I'm always going to make sure if I ask somebody a question and they give me really honest feedback, that is going to end up in my decision. But know that they can't make the decisions. It, it is not a true democracy. It's a republic. And I represent them as a supervisor, as the superintendent, but they're the ones doing the work. So I have to realize that they may not see all the different aspects of the uh, role that they play in the um, position and function of the institution that they they um, incorporate, but at the same time, their perspective has a lot of meaning because I don't have that. Or if I did at one time, even as a teacher or as a custodian, as, as somebody in maintenance, I might have lost sight of that because I'm so far removed. But they remind me of that and it helps me to do that job. So one of the things I, I look for um, and the people that I follow, and I and I actually, I still use this as a, a compliment, and it's something I would throw to you, Joe. I, I would let you to be, I want you to be my boss. Because to me, um, when I, I have 14 years working with other superintendents, there's always somebody who wants to be in charge of the rest of us. And yet we're all at the same level. But those who stand above, um, and it could be their intelligence, it could be their insight, it could be their passion. Um, a lot of times it was their follow through. They said what they mean, and they meant what they said, and they, they made it happen. And those are the people I would say, you know what? I'd want you to be my boss because I'm so impressed, though, that we are at the same level. You're still striving, and I'm still learning. And I think that was one of the biggest things any um, person I admired in leadership taught me. They didn't stop learning. They, um, and, and someone reflected to me, and I, and I had this moment before I retired. It wasn't... A, a, a one of my favorite uh, bosses, superintendent, said to me, it's not that I got smarter. I just got wiser. And I've seen it before or I heard it before. And now I can share it with other people because now it's come full circle. I can be the one pointing that out to other people or asking those questions so they arrive at it themselves. And so that's something that I look for in leaders that I want to follow. They're going to help me grow as much as they're gonna lead me. This is prob probably a good time for us to uh, take a break. Uh, you're listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. We're in the midst of an enthralling conversation led by our doctoral student, Joe Kolodarchi. And uh, I believe, Tim, you have a question. Yes, I do. Thank you, Fran. And uh, Joe, I hope you don't mind me jumping in, but I thought that uh, uh, both of your guests uh, uh, have uh, pretty uh, interesting formative experiences in uh, in the college or university that they went to. Uh, Stephen went to the Villanova University, and we won't hold that against him, although Fran and I are kind of, uh, well, Fran, Fran uh, uh, is more of a Philadelphia guy, for a UPenn guy, but uh, uh, I'm a Seton Hall guy. But, uh, and of course, Kevin, uh, you mentioned that you were an athlete at, uh, at Ryder, uh, I believe. So my question really to both of you is, uh, how did those formative experiences in college kind of mold you into the types of leaders that you ultimately became? 
Um, so I'll I'll start with the fact that, and the colonel and I have this in in common, and I'll I have to ask him offline: Is he looking for a soccer team? Because at 52, I still play on three different teams. Um, so I played soccer all the way through my college career, and like the colonel, I, I seem to always be in the position where um, I was chosen for leadership. So I I did that all the way through. And I think um, not only that, there was a sense uh, when I went to Ryder, so I transferred from a community college um, to get involved. I just like coming, I came out of the Army Reserve, uh, sorry, basic training, the Reserve, and you learn there, just volunteer. That's fine. It, it's, it's, it's not going to kill you. So when I got to college, I just volunteered and I was able to spread myself over so many different areas and aspects to ideas that I never would have done, like radio at Ryder University, which I love this idea when Joseph brought this to me. So I think that was one of the things that helped me the most, that I wasn't um, concerned about judgment. I just wanted to try stuff. Colonel? Thank you. And uh, so to Kevin's point, uh, I played a year at NOVA. So and I'm about your age. So I think you and I definitely need to meet after this because I'm sure we have some hooping and hollering to do. Um, you know, when I hit Nova, I was a walk on to the team, uh, to a soccer team, and I made it. And uh, I tried to do that engineering and Air Force ROTC. And what I learned was holding a 21 credit load plus uh, soccer plus trying to be a cadet was not it was was impossible. So I I let go of the one thing I well one of the things I really loved in my life which was playing soccer because I had to focus on what was more important and and you know getting through my degree was extremely difficult. It's probably the the most difficult thing I'd had to meet up until that time in my life. But what it really got out of it was if you want something, you have to work extremely hard to get there. And it's, it's like my, my mom and my, my dad will always tell me, you know, the, the good things in life are the ones that you earn and you work really hard at. And I think that got me through, you know, Air Force Basic, that got me through um, the, the numerous deployments, that got me through all the challenges in life is, is just that core fundamental. If you want it and it's the right thing to do and it's going to be painful, but you just got to work really, really hard at it and not quit and surround yourself by good people who are going to support you. So um, that was that was, you know, college was great. It was it wasn't fun, but it was great. And uh, I appreciate it. But now that I know that um, the Seton Hall aspect, I absolutely understand the uh, the uh, the jibes and which uh, I'm looking <laughs> forward to having conversations about that later, too. <laughs> no, but yes, that's right. We'll meet afterwards. Are, are, are you a season ticket holder? I know. Unfortunately, I don't have time to. I want to. I'm just happy about March Madness. There you go. There you go. Uh, great answers, guys. Joe? All right. Excellent answers. Yes. Um, are there any, so there's different types of leadership, leadership styles. Uh, are there any times when either of you found that your leadership style sort of shifted, whether it be based on the experiences that you've had while you're leading or um, a certain situation you're in or certain personnel that you're leading? And uh, would, would you maybe have any examples? Okay, I'll, I'll take that one on the first one. Um, your leadership style, at least for me, always changes. You have a core fundamental, um, and this is what I, I, I try to teach my young officers and my NCOs as well. You have a core fundamental leadership foundation, and that foundation is based off your core values. And Everything that you do after you establish that core foundation grows because every situation you get into is different. And as you experience new things, you get more and more tools in your toolbox and and it, it morphs how you execute that particular challenge. In the Air Force, we do something called the OODA loop, which is we, whenever you first come into an organization, they tell you to observe, then orientate, orient, and then Make a decide, make decisions, and then act. It's called UDA, and the whole point of it is, don't rush in and change things. Figure out what's going on, decide what you need to do, and then act upon it. When I was a, a young major in Iraq, and you know, getting mortared daily and launching airplanes in the middle of of, of chaos and anarchy, my leadership style was very mission oriented not stopping, lead from the front, don't worry about the danger. Um, and it, it was one of those, I had to get my men and women through that 
and we had to get home safely. As fast forward 17 years to being a group commander, I don't have to do that. I've, I've learned a lot. Um, I'm more of the empowering people, guiding them, making sure that they have um, the tools that they need to be successful. And and it's more of a, you know, it, and it's, I, I, would, I would venture to ask Kevin if he felt that way from going from a principal to a superintendent, because I see that a, a great deal of a correlation between that. So I'll kick it over to Kevin for, for his response. Thank you, Colonel. Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, as you're explaining, well, we have so much in common from, I walked on at Ryder as well, but um, so I had learned right away, when you get into a situation, you don't change, you learn the situation. So as a, a new principal, a new superintendent, you ask questions. And from that, you can discern who knows what in the way of their job, who knows how their jobs connect together. And then you can figure out if nobody knows the job, that means it's your job to do that job. Um, and so you have people who are either working uh, alone or even in silos, or you have people uh, who are connected in some way. So I always try to judge where are my team in the way of experience, understanding of their role, and then their drive. Where, where do they see themselves? Um, and I was really fortunate in my last position that I hired everyone but one person to come into my team over the course of the five years I was there. there. And um, it was amazing in the fact that we got to a point where we were able to push one another. And I could be that role of um, asking the questions. What does the policy say? What has been done before? Um, but I've also been in places where uh, the the district was underwater and I had to tell people what to do because they did not know and they'd been underwater for a while. So I think you judge where people are at and what needs to be done. But the whole time, um, especially when you're in a position when they're underwater, uh, you have to prove yourself to them and say, no, I can do this. You know, uh, I walked into a district that uh, the state walked in that same time I did almost the same day, and said, here are all the things wrong. I said, wow, here's what I thought was wrong. And they were amazed that I'd already done my homework on all the things I thought was going on with state money and grants. They said, oh, we can work together. I said, yes, but I didn't want them to attack my staff who were left behind after the leadership left because it wasn't their fault. They just didn't know. They were just taught that way. So I always find it's not a matter of pointing fingers. It's a matter of what's wrong. How do we fix it together? How do we learn from it together? But who's ready to move on to next? You know, uh, Colonel, you talked about it before. I think my biggest legacy is when I look back and I think of all the people that are in different places based on my experience working with them. I'm so excited when I look back and I have, and I, I actually had to do the math. I have over 30 teachers who are now administrators. I have um, 10 people in positions of business administrator or superintendent that I've worked with in my time. And it really just came down to, I saw it in them, they just didn't see it in themselves. But as I said before, people saw it in me and I tried to make sure um, I learned that and was able to help them as well. So uh, Kevin, and now also for Steven. Uh, Steven, you mentioned this interesting division uh, between when you were a major and uh, you were taking care of stuff uh, overseas and then then when you uh, moved up to colonel you became group captain or group leader and then Kevin you had the same kind of thing parallel item principal and then you moved to superintendent so uh, I guess the question here is the the leadership functions are really different on those two two levels I think aren't they uh, at when you're at that major and principal level, you're executing the mission, like Steve sa Stephen said, but when you're that next stage up, you're helping to define the mission and to establish policy a little bit. So how do, does your leadership style change in those roles? Uh, you know, I would, I would, I would say absolutely. Um, you know, in the military, we call it tactical, then operational, then strategic. And these are the visions that leaders are supposed to have. When you're down on the uh, flight line and turn airplanes, you're at the tactical level and, you know, a wrench in a bolt and you got to get an airplane going. And when you get up to 
the higher levels, you have to provide that strategic vision. You have to provide, um, you know, you, you, you've done, uh, you have to give that thousand, uh, 10,000 foot look to your folks and just say, this is where we're going. You know, we call it commander intent in the military, which is, I'm gonna tell you where we need to go, but I don't necessarily have to tell you how you have to get there um, because I trust you as individual leaders at different levels. So when you get up to that level, and I've seen that with uh, my own superintendent in my district, you know, give me give give the folks the intent, and you'll be amazed at what they do, you know. So it, it's 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 uh, yeah, I believe is the higher you go up in in especially in in the military, and but I can see the correlations in education. It's having that that bigger vision and being able to keep people in in. Uh, marching to that vision, as well as putting the right people in the right place. I mean, there's tons of people out there that are not in the right place to do that job. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean they don't have something to bring to the team. They're just not in the right place. So it takes a lot of effort and, and, and sometimes, you know, a lot of hurt feelings to say, look, this is not working out and this is where you need to, to, to go in order to be more successful or, Hey, I'm moving you over here. Well, that's not what I want to do. Well, that's what's best for the team. And hopefully you've built enough teamwork and enough buy-in from your folks that they go, I trust you as an, as, as a leader. And I'm going to go and do that because I believe in what your, 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 what vision you have. So, I mean, that's, that's how it goes. We do it or that's how I do it. Kevin. So I'm I'm very similar, but I also um, I guess because I always came across you know my parents were always on my brothers and sisters and I to always be who we are uh, at all times you know um, my dad was a big fan of you know always do what's right regardless who who, who think it's wrong and um, as a teacher that's how I conducted myself and I was uh, promoted with my own school to a supervisor. And later, I was a vice principal, and I was promoted to principal in the same school uh, by the superintendent who hired me. Um, and then as a principal, I was promoted to superintendent in that district uh, by the board of education that hired me. And I think it's because I conducted myself in the way that there was no, and I, and I love this in any role, there was no guesswork. There was no surprises. I was predictable. They knew what I would do, how I would do it, how I, I would say it. And that I would get it done because I was predictable. And that's how I, I think I was able to rise up. But I also, as the question came before, I learned from those who did it well. And I learned from those who didn't do it well. And I never judged and I never pointed a finger. And I never named a name. I just did the job that had to be done. And those who were in the position to advance me saw that and I was advanced. So uh, I can think of at least three times in my career that I went from one aspect to another, and it was because I was doing the job at my level, but because of my effort and because of my interest, those above me um, let me know, here's how you do the next level job. Here's what, how you could um, gain skill, gain knowledge. And they gave me opportunities, and just like I learned in the Army, I always said yes. So... Um, that was what served me well. And I look for that as well with um, new teachers, um, uh, new uh, administrators. Are you willing to learn beyond your scope so you're able to make the move when you're ready? Awesome. Colonel Hensky, I think some, one thing that you were kind of gearing towards was like the, especially in education, the thought of collaboration and, and getting input and feedback and ideas from the different stakeholders. And that brings me to a, it pops in my head, a situation we're in currently uh, where we have a, a teacher that is going out on a leave and we need to find a way to fill her position and certifications. So there's a lot of different aspects involved in that. And the thing that, that we ended up coming up with isn't ideal by any stretch, but it requires us to take a teacher out of her classroom for a majority of the day and kind of spread her to, you know, to, to do that other role um, and fill that position. And, and a couple of the unit leaders or the, the other teachers have come and we always seek feedback from them, but you know, there, there, there is a point or a time where they, they don't know the behind the scenes 
that's involved in terms of budgeting and staffing. And um, there's times where I say, well, I'll just hire another person. And it's not quite as easy as, as, as you're aware, Colonel, with uh, like manning documents and such. But collaboration is definitely the way to go, in my opinion. And uh, but it just there's sometimes where they where certain individuals don't know the ins and outs of, of what's going on. But getting their feedback is always important. An excellent uh, opportunity to take a quick break. You're listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. And welcome back to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. We're in the studio today with my co-host, uh, Fran Gavin. I'm Tim Fredericks, your host. And uh, doctoral student Joe Call Darcy is uh, curating the program today with his two very special guests. So let me uh, toss the ball right back to Joe for our final segment. Thank you, Dr. Fredericks. And uh, one of the big things when, when in, in a leadership role is hiring personnel. When I first started as an assistant principal, that was the first time that I really had the opportunity to hire and be in on interviews. And it was very enlightening from, from that side of the desk, if you would. And I, I, I saw what it takes to, to review resumes and, and decide who to call and you know, invite to an interview and uh, ask the questions and review the responses and discuss who we would bring back for a second interview and ultimately recommend um, with, of course, the superintendent uh, recommend to the Board of Ed to, to hire in various roles. So, uh, gentlemen, as, as leaders, what do you look for in a new hire? And uh, over the course of your leadership, um, you know, from the, lack of a better term, lower ranks to where you are now, have you seen an adjustment, or not even that, but even through time and, and the, the trajectory society is in, have you seen an adjustment to what you look for uh, based on the experiences and, and, and what you've done? How about we start with Kevin? Well, Joe, I think uh, it's interesting. Uh, when I first got involved with the hiring process, I was lucky enough as a teacher that the principal would allow us to be part of um, a, an interview group, if you volunteered for that. And I definitely was because I wanted to learn. And then later on, the same thing happened as, um, a vice principal supervisor. I was part of those groups, but I noticed that, that there was a, a piece missing. Um, and it wasn't that it was staged or, you know, I, I wouldn't fault a candidate for putting their, their best foot forward and, and trying to be someone maybe they wanted to be. Um, but it was not true to life. And I, I have to say, I, I thank uh, being a volunteer first aider and being uh, in, in the Army Reserves and uh, ROTC um, to learn that, you know, if you put a little stress on people, they really show you your true colors. So I was a big fan of getting everyone involved into the hiring process, including my custodians and support staff, my secretaries, um, uh, instructional aides, anyone, because... I thought it spoke volumes about who you were, especially a principal or a, a new administrator, how you would treat the people you would be um, supervising. So I would set up scenarios where they, they, the candidates, would have interactions with my support staff in different ways, um, including calling them to come in for uh, the interview and give them a sense of how the interview would go. And I would have those support staff write down their feelings, gut instincts. What, what, what did you get from that candidate? How, what do you think? And then I would have them weigh in on part of the interview process. It was very telling. I had a, um, so I used to call it a, a, a career fair and I would have um, principals come in, candidates, and they would be doing four different written tasks for me, being pulled out for interviews on scenarios. They would be, um, doing one-on-ones with me. They'd be meeting with my admin team. And I had a, a secretary say to me, well, it's not fair. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, they don't get to do one thing. They're always interrupted. And I said, well, how's your day? She said, oh, oh, I see. And sure enough, it spoke volumes when people would just get up in the middle of the um, interview process and walk out. And I would think, what would you do if there was a fire drill in the middle of a, a minor flood? Oh, and the power went out at the same time. Would you just get up and walk out? No. 
And I thought the people who rose to the occasion, who even smiled at the stress that was going on around them, um, those are the people that I wanted to invest in. Those are the people I wanted to work with because there was something, and my brother and I talked about this as uh, coaches, you can't teach heart. It's already there, but you can see it and you can nurture it. And those people will become the leaders of tomorrow. And that's why I've gone from not only focusing on my staff to become leaders, but the students that I serve to become leaders, because I thought that's where it starts. That's where it comes from. It's, it's from their family values and what they're learning in class every day and what we're doing to get them ready. So I would, my favorite thing, especially with teachers, I would ask them, so what do you think about homework? And they would start down the line of the, their either philosophy or, or the research on homework. And those who really got it would go, wait, is this a trick question? And I would tell them, they're all trick questions, but you're doing great because you're telling me how you really feel and what that does for um, you interviewing us as your potential employer goes miles because if we fit your philosophy, then it's a great fit. And those are the people that I look for later on in their career and maybe early on in their career to become the administrators of tomorrow. Excellent, Colonel Hensky. I actually remember uh, early on a number of years ago, five, at least five years ago, uh, that process that you did in Greenbrook. Um, and I, I was still a teacher. It was for, I, I believe, a middle school principal position. Um, and, you know, went through that process just for, just for the experience. And I have to say that that was, <laughs> that was quite an experience. And um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate to uh, mirror that when I do have the opportunity in hopefully in the future. Colonel Hensky. Well, I mean, it's, it's great listening to Kevin and how he does stuff. Cause I, I as far as a interview board, I'm a huge proponent of diversity on the board. I like having different people with different backgrounds to give me different takes on different candidates that, that we apply for. And then I also structure my questions to really, I really want the interviewee to think and I try to get into a dialogue about why, they, how they tick. I mean, I personally, I love interviewing. You know, people sit there and go, oh, my God, I'm so nervous when I interview. I love it. It's my opportunity to tell you what I think about things. And if you don't want to hire me, then you're not going to hire me. Or we can have a discussion about it. But I'm not going to go in there and just try to give what I think you want to hear. I'm going to give my honest from, from the heart how I believe things based on um, my values and what I believe is, is right and wrong. And my questions, I think, try to draw that from the interviewee. You know, a resume is a great thing to start with. And I, when I look at a resume, I, I, the first question I ask is, did this person, when they wrote this resume, write the resume for the job? Or did he give me the standard stock resume that lists, uh, that regurgitates in 17 pages everything that they've ever done in their entire life? I want them to know. I want them to know what job they're going into. I want them to want that job, and I want them to, from very get go, which starts with the resume and goes all through the interview, say, "This is the job that I want, and why I want it." In education, I've been involved in some education hiring. Uh, as far as what certificates. Uh, educators have is always important, but I want to know how you're going to apply that. In the military, it's, you know, uh, it, or in any job that I hire, I also want to know what extra stuff do you do? You know, what extra education are you doing? How are you trying to make yourself better? How are you trying to serve your country? How are you supposed to serve your community? You know, uh, are you part of the rescue squad? Are you uh, a volunteer uh, soccer coach? You know, that's, that's big stuff for me because that means that you just don't necessarily concentrate on you you concentrate on many. And so when you bring, if I want to bring you into the organization, who am I going to get? I'm going to get somebody who wants to help people out. I'm going to get somebody who wants to listen to other people. And, you know, you might not be the most, I, I many times I've hired people that aren't necessarily the most, have the best qualifications, but they have the best qualities because the best qualities, I can teach you qualifications. I can't teach you quality. I can't teach you, you know, who you are as a person. That's what you bring to the to the table. So, um, you know, being honest and preparing yourself for any position, that's that's what I would recommend to anybody uh, as they move forward. Very good. I know that uh, over the, the few times that I've had the opportunity over to 
four years or so interviewing. One of the things as an educational leader that I focus on hearing is the passion for kids and children and working with them and helping them grow. And uh, if that isn't seen, and I, it, it's, there's been times where that hasn't been seen through the interview process, uh, but that for me, for this type of position, uh, that's, that's one of the big things, or if not the biggest thing, even more so than actual experiences. Colonel? And you know, that's a great point, Joe, because if you look at the environment that we're in with remote teaching and COVID and everything that's going on, I, I really, from a BOE perspective and from a parent perspective, the teachers that are most successful are the ones who have the most amount of passion for their kids. And that really does resonate um, with, uh, with, with me. So I think that's a fantastic point. Awesome. Uh, so as we, as we come to a conclusion or wrap up, what advice uh, would you give to those individuals who are aspiring to become leaders in, in whatever field? Um, I know for me, one, one of the experiences that I had when I was in the contingency response group a number of years ago, we were doing a training exercise, and it's not really a, a, an advice piece that I was given. Well, actually it was. Uh, there was a, a security forces uh, NCO that was a cadre for, uh, they, we did a simulated attack and um, they were throwing flashbangs and, you know, it was a, it was all simulation. It was all safe, of course, but, um, I don't know what happened or where it came from, but he was a big guy as well. And, uh, he had this conversation with me about leadership and, and, you know, being a little bigger in stature, uh, and, and, and what that means and how people look up to you. And that, and that could be for anybody, even as, as a leader, in, in terms of the work that you do. And uh, he, he dropped the, the ring from the flashbang and I actually picked it up and that's permanently one of my keychains that I, that I hold on to. So for me, that was one of my experiences. So what, or one of the things that I have a piece of advice from somebody. So what, what advice would you give to individuals that are looking to become a leader? Let's start with Colonel. Um, real quick, because I know our time's running out. You know, you really have to understand your field and you have to identify ways to grow, not only as a person, but in your field. And, and really don't try, don't be afraid to really try something new. You know, get outside your comfort zone and experiences. You know, when there's a hard problem that really needs to be tackled, are you going to be that person that's going to step up and say, um, let me try that? And you might fail. But you got it. But, you know, by trying that, you're going to learn something and you're going to also demonstrate that you're willing to take a chance. You know, your ideas can be great, in the, but you also have to understand too followership. You know, I had a, I had a great, um, a really great mentor friend who was also a principal and he's also my first sergeant in, in, in one of my first commands. He said, you have to understand that, that the difference between a crisis and event is experience. And you have to get that experience in order for the day-to-day -day, ah, moments of crisis to really just become an event that you can handle. And the one thing that I coined a long time ago was, uh, you know, good people follow, uh, great people lead, but exceptional people can do both. And that's something that I really has been trying to be a mantra uh, for me. So, you know, get a mentor, accept some criticism, get the candid, candid feedback and don't be don't get hurt when somebody tells you that you're you're not necessarily as good as you think you are because they're being truthful and that's what you want to see i'll hand it off to take heaven well you know it's nice colonel that you, uh, it's not that you're stealing my thunder but boy are we cut from the same cloth because you know i i put out there all the time uh to people in any position you know be a role model for the the job that you're doing for other people coming in for the the your your peers but also for your supervisor to go to look to and go you know what follow that person that person knows what they're doing but um as well find a mentor in all aspects of your life it's not a, not just professional but personal it's amazing for growth and then be a mentor there's nothing better than in sharing your understanding of what you know and why you know it and then when you communicate that i mean there's research that talks about you actually understand it better once you've communicated that to someone else. That's the beauty of teaching in, in any um, walk of life. And then I think lastly, it's, you know, Joe talked about it. It's that passion. You gotta, you gotta love what you do. I I'm worked with a gentleman who 82 year old prosecutor in ocean County. And I said, how do you do it? And he said, do what you love, love what you do. And don't stay home too much because then you, you and your wife will fight too much. And it, not only did he make me laugh, but he was absolutely right. As far as 
you got to love what you do and do what you love. Very good. And I, I think it's pretty safe to say that everybody who is here right now uh, loves what they do and, and does what they love uh, between Colonel Henske being a group commander of the 108th uh, maintenance group and Kevin having been a, a superintendent and going on to other aspects and, and you know, creating businesses and such. Uh, I know I love, absolutely love what I do. And I think that's the benefit of having taken that initial couple of years after college to make sure that it's what I wanted to jump into. And, and I did just kept on going. So, uh, yeah, Joe, leadership has a lot of, uh, uh commonalities, uh, regardless of the, uh, of the business that folks are in, whether it's the school business, whether it's the military, whether it's uh, private industry, there are a lot of commonalities. Don't, uh, Fran, don't you think so? Oh, absolutely. I think there's, uh, and our our guests have kind of hit on a couple of them. Uh, one is that that passion. Uh, if if you're not so involved in it that you lose track of time and context because you're so deeply involved and uh, enamored with it, uh, you, you you can't be successful that way. Uh, and I think the other part is, um, and both of uh, our guests talked about it. Uh, there is a, a an experience component that allows you to to have that level head when everybody else is kind of uh, freaking out and going in all different directions, and you bring that a calm, reasoned approach to things. So, uh, and, and that cuts across all kinds of, of uh, endeavors. I, I I really want to thank everybody, um, Colonel Hensky, uh, for for taking the time, and and Kevin. Carol, for taking the time to join us and, and ex express your experiences and, and views on leadership. Um, when I was thinking about this and, and who to invite on, on the show, you know, the, the backgrounds that, that the two of you bring and, and the experiences that I've seen over the, the course of the years, um, I'm, I'm very excited to have had this opportunity and I really appreciate it and I want to thank you both. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, uh, Joe, for curating the show. Thank you to Kevin and Stephen for coming on and joining us. Uh, uh, thank you uh, to my co-host, Fran Gavin. And you have been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. 